Here we go. The Earth Fox Podcast. Welcome to the Earth Fox Podcast. With 404. Missing link. Yeah, he's a great man, by the way. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And visit us at vox404.com. Enjoy the show. Have you ever felt like there is a stigma in the UK about saying Merry Christmas versus the all-encompassing Happy Holidays? Uh, I've never heard anyone say Happy Holidays in the UK. No kidding. It's always just been Merry Christmas. Yeah, I've never heard that in my life. Or what do, what do Muslims... I mean, it's, it's, it's surprising because... However many years ago, there was suddenly this stigma in the States about wishing somebody a Merry Christmas because it's not inclusive. There's, Fucking oh, hell, really? you know, the, the Jewish people, they celebrate Hanukkah and, and, you know, this other group of people celebrate Kwanzaa. And I don't know what, what do, do Muslims have a, a, winter holiday where when they exchange gifts i don't think they do no they they don't but they still they still wish me a merry christmas oh have a great christmas that must be why they're so pissed off all the time maybe although they get eat so like they have their own shit you know and they gotta fast for a long time before that but they they got their own party also probably another reason why they're super pissed off all the time when, yeah, when I yeah, don't I eat, I get really irritable. <laughs> <laughs> How long has it been? Oh, for since I've eaten? I mean, it's yeah. I, I'm going on like 12 hours, but. Whoa, fucking hell. That's right. Look Calm out. Down. I'm about to go yeah. jihad on some motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there it is. I was waiting for it. Give me some shredded wheat, which I was I was approached about my comparison. Uh, between it's it's becoming like a meme on the show now. I compared beef Wellington to American meatloaf, which I understand is it's it's a travesty of a comparison. But then I I also compared shredded wheat to wheat bix, which is I mean I don't know they're similar in shape and consistency. So I just draw that comparison for somebody that has no idea what wheat mix is oh yeah i get yeah but i understand what you're saying i got people i got people keeping me in line i got people yeah i can see why it's like it's shredded wheat well you get the big you get the big shredded wheat or you get the little shredded wheats so Which someone is, that doesn't know about the big shredded wheat, they're going to be like, hey, that's not like Weetabix. They would Weetabix is a giant chunk of, yeah. They would definitely make that comparison. And I don't even know, or, or conclusion, and I don't even know if you can buy the giant loaf of shredded wheat anymore. It's, it's all just... Oh, really? Oh, really? Because you, you can buy it here. I mean, I don't like it. I think it tastes like shit. But, uh, and it kind of looks like shit, too. So, <laughs> you know... For me, it's not the right way to start the day. I like my Weetabix. Weetabix is apparently different from shredded wheat. It tastes different, looks different. It is different. Is it, is um, it a little bit... smaller one's better. Is it a little bit sweeter than shredded wheat? Shredded wheat? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's sweeter as much as... I think the way like it absorbs the milk is just a little bit better. And I think the overall consistency of what I'm eating is just a little bit nicer. I don't feel like the shredded wheat... I don't know. It feels like... 
it feels like what it looks like, which which I am eating like a pressed plug of wheat. That's <laughs> kind of like you know, and people are like, yeah, but it's so good, and you can add all this fruit to it. I'm like, yeah. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take something that's like really healthy for me, and I'm just gonna add like you know, 40 grams of fucking raspberries to it to hide the fact that I'm eating like a giant chunk of, mm. you know, compressed fucking wheat. <laughs> like, you know, no, just give me the wheat bakes and give me a banana and done. I've been getting in into uh, oatmeal, weirdly enough. And I, I do the same thing. Well, I mean, because I guess traditionally you do the oatmeal with the brown sugar and or or some maple syrup or or something like that to sweeten it up quite a bit. Um, but what I've been doing since I, you know, sugar is just, it's a bad idea to consume a lot of sugar. I'm trying to like impart this wisdom to my kids, but explaining to kids that sugar isn't good for you to eat all the time is like explaining to a heroin addict why they shouldn't be doing heroin. Uh, mm, they, yep. they, they get it. They look me right in the eye and go, okay, yeah, thank Yes, daddy, I understand. And then they're like, give me more sugar. Because that's just, I don't know. I like, I, I really loathe the American diet, which, which we can get into. But getting back to my oatmeal story, which I think is the more pressing issue right now, is. Yeah, definitely. definitely. I chop, I, I, uh, I throw a little butter in. And last time I did, oh. last time I put in too much, I didn't like it. It was, it made it too salty. I should have, I should have gone unsalted butter, but then I chopped up a, a whole banana into it and it was just perfect except for the carbs. I try not to be, uh, you know, have a lot, include a lot of carbs and sugar in my diet. Not because, not strictly because of the carb content, but because just the quality of well, all of our food, unfortunately, reflects the capitalist system that we e exist in, being that we have to show quarterly profits every quarter, no questions asked. And when that is the ultimate goal, you end up having to take from the quality of your product and mm -hmm. the quality of, mm -hmm. of the, you know, the employment that you offer. So we get really, really low quality, you know, wheat and pasta and and things like that that create a lot of health problems so my meal most of the time is just coffee with a little heavy cream i forgot to ask you uh a couple of weeks ago how you enjoyed the oat milk in your coffee because i know that's a big it's a big thing everybody's doing the oat milk oh. now you know i actually do like it you know in a pinch it's kind of it's kind of good. It's kind of good. It's different. Um, you have to do it right, though. I feel like sometimes if you do the oat milk wrong, you get the ratio wrong. It kind of tastes weird. But as long as it's like kind of piping hot, it, it doesn't taste bad. And um, now that I'm talking, it sounds like I'm trying to justify it to myself that it tasted good. A little bit how like people that eat like beyond meat burgers try and justify it to themselves mm. so that like it tastes good i feel like i'm doing that live right now on the show maybe it didn't taste as good as i thought it did but 
Of all the alternative milks, let's say, oat milk is the least worst version of that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I tried all of that stuff. I mean, I did, I did soy milk. I mean, not exclusively, but I did soy milk for a while. And then I found out that soy milk or, or really just soy products in general are really bad for you. And then there yeah. was, you know, like the nut milks, like almond milk and, and stuff like that that I tried and you're right. They're all, I mean, I, I imagine I haven't tried oat milk, but I imagine it's the same thing. It's just kind of a, well, this is okay. If I don't have what I really want, but I used to do those. Um, I don't know what brands you have over there in the uke, but, uh, it's like coffee mate and, um, uh, international something. But like the the non dairy super sweet creamers, uh, oh that, yeah, like hazelnut and and French vanilla and uh, you know all all the different flavors that that really I mean they basically turn your coffee into a milkshake and uh, they're just like if you turn them over and read the ingredients it's it's absolutely disgusting like the the I mean. The reason that they can sit on the shelf and not in the refrigerated section is because they're like the third ingredient, I think, is like soybean oil or something like just the worst. It's the worst imaginable shit that you could put in your body next to. I mean, I don't know, like hard, illegal drugs and alcohol. <laughs> but I was really craving some uh, some peppermint mocha. You know, to get myself in the mood for the holidays. Oh, wow. I've not tried one of those. That's for sure. I've, I've never tried one of those. Peppermint mocha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I don't know. It is, it, it's, it's weird when you start talking about things that you like and things that you don't like. Like, I'm going through this with my little kids. Why, why do you like this? Why do you like that? Oh, I don't know. You know, because there's, there's this, uh, you know, it, it's weird. You have kids and it takes you back to when you were a kid. and you know, the, the eating habits and being really picky about the stuff that you like and how, you know, adults like broccoli and asparagus and spinach and things like that. I mean, probably more for the positive health benefits than anything else. But my daughter's like, why do you like that stuff? I, I don't know. Why do you like the shit that you like? Because you, yeah. you just like it. Yeah, but, don't judge me, man. But it's it's right, stupid little kid. <laughs> <laughs> don't judge me, man. I'll eat what I want to eat. Uh, 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 but I like that kind of stuff because it 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 seems like you know, especially in my line of work, it's like the holidays are here, and then in the blink of an eye, they're gone, and I'm like, oh, damn it! Like I was so busy with work, and you know buying presents for my kids and putting up the Christmas decorations and all of this shit. I, I feel like I forgot to enjoy the holidays while they were here. Yeah. And, yeah. And now it's over. It's, you know, it's going to be January in 12 days. So I got some, I got to do some peppermint mocha and, you know, buy some eggnog. What do you think about eggnog? You know, I'm not a huge fan of eggnog. I'm not going to lie. It's not really my thing. I'm a big fan for like the six weeks or, or whatever that, that it's in. I mean, of course, 
It's not something you want to drink all the time. And that's another thing. To my massive <laughs> disappointment, I'm looking at the back. So, so like Dairy Gold is a, like a top shelf brand for butter and cheese and milk and cream and things like that. Right, right. Over here in the States. I don't know if you've got it there. No, um, I don't think so. But I grab a, a quart or whatever of, of this, a liter for you Europeans. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm looking at the ingredients. We do pints over here, man. We do pints of milk, remember? Oh, pi- oh my, my bad. See, I don't, yeah. I don't fucking know anything. It'd be all <laughs> fucked up. We do pints of milk, liters of juice, liters of fuel, miles per gallon. <laughs> um, and I'm looking at, but I'm looking at the back of this eggnog, right? And it's, it's like the, uh, the third ingredient is friggin' corn syrup. And so I put it back and I was able to actually find, and I think this actually was a pint of like local dairy, organic whole ingredients. Uh, yeah. Um, it's funny how they go organic and then they use a different unit of measurement. You know what I mean? Oh, this is kind of oldy retro. We're going to use pints for something. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, think, I think part of the reason, too, is because uh, just that small glass bottle of, of the legit organic super good eggnog was like $8. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. And it's unfortunate that, that, that you have to spend, like, there, I would have so much more disposable income in my house if we didn't do the full organic, you know, uh, non-GMO, like, all this stuff that you basically have to buy if you don't want to load up on, it, it, it's like you either spend all of your money on healthy food or you spend half of your money on shit food and the other half of the money of your money on all of the pharmaceuticals that you have to take to <laughs> yeah. counter all of yeah. the health problems. That yeah, you you're get paying from... that shit forward, man. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I digress. There was a time when I caught myself saying happy holidays in my, you know, in my daily greetings and, and farewells. Blasphemy. Not because I really felt, I mean, I, I really feel like I want to take responsibility and I, I do, I accept responsibility, but not because I felt like I was going to be stigmatized for sta- for saying Merry Christmas to someone, but I found it funny. And I thought like when I was, Reflecting on this conversation, I thought these people go out like I would say happy holidays to somebody. And every once in a while, they, they would turn back to me and go, Merry Christmas. Like, oh, 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 right. right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah <laughs> oh, you're that, one of those households. OK, OK. Let that, me say something else, too. That, too. And, and you know, there's also. In 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 passing, I, I caught myself doing this over the past couple of days. Someone would tell me Merry Christmas and I'd go, yeah, you too. And then I would say Merry Christmas to somebody and they would say, yeah, too. Yeah, you too. Merry Christmas going out of their way to make sure that they say Merry Christmas as if to just sort of throw this, this cultural perversion out, you know, out the window. 
Because at some point, somebody thought, hey, we need to get Christ out of culture. And it's been happening for a long time in, in oh, the yeah, United States. Sure, yeah. With Oh, we, 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 you know, we say the, the Pledge of Allegiance, which I think is kind of weird. Uh, I pledge allegiance. It is kind of weird. It is kind of, it is kind of culty, isn't it? I I mean, it, I, I, I hate to say this because I know many, many patriots listen to this podcast and it's not that I don't believe that the pledge of allegiance is a good thing, but the, the, the words, the phrasing, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. And yada 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 one nation under god indivisible with Mm. liberty and justice for all they and Mm -hmm. the left worked very hard to get the under god taken out they worked really hard to persecute uh prayer in schools and and there was even i think a, a football coach who was fired from his uh from his position because he would hold optional prayers at, you know, at center field during games or something like that. I, I didn't get really involved in the story because that's, that's one of those things. And that's kind of brings me to my, my first point. I listened to a, one of the first podcasts I fired off yesterday before I began my day was one of my favorites. I mean, it's been my favorite, but it's, it's one of the ones that I've kind of criticized lately because the guy went on like six weeks of podcasts centered around Hamas and Israel. Just every day, more Israel, Hamas for weeks. But he's been kind of backing off a little bit lately, which I, I've appreciated because there's only so many ways that you can say that the Palestinians don't want a two-state solution. They want a one-state solution that doesn't involve Israelis. Which is why, I mean, we've done like one and a half shows on the subject and moved yeah, on. It's, it's, yeah, it's really, there's not much to say. <laughs> so, there, I mean, there's minutiae. Yeah. Like, I mean, there, there's interesting details that, that change from, from day to day. I mean, the biggest thing since we, since, since you brought it up, <laughs> is, <laughs> don't, don't put that on me, bro. Oh, I know, I know, I know. Um, but it's just <laughs> the, the most interesting part briefly is that Joe Biden, uh, out of one side of his mouth supports Israel and out of the other side, uh, supports Gaza and, and the Palestinians basically for all intents and purposes funding both sides of the conflict while saying that Israel needs to negotiate a ceasefire and not and, and agree to not kill any more hostages and not act in a way or not, uh, not hostages, but civilians and not act in a way that uh, will bring harm to the civilians and, and, and saying that you, you either, agree to these terms or we're not going to provide you weapons and funding. I mean, isn't that a really interesting point that the only real news 
is nothing to do with like the war itself, but everything around the war, like what Biden's doing and what the UK thinks and what all these other countries are thinking and doing in response to this situation. The actual situation on the ground is almost less interesting because it's just two sides throwing weapons at each other. Um, I think that's sort of interesting. But in the same way, um, I actually think Joe Biden is kind of based for this uh, because essentially he's backing both sides. So they make money by selling weapons to both sides. Um, I, that That's, that's kind of anarcho-capitalist. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, it's, I mean, I would be... More intrigued, I think, if it wasn't so blatantly obvious yeah, that there's no, like, there's no benevolence involved. Like, that just kind of oh, makes it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess the guys is that Joe Biden is such a nice guy that he just wants to bring peace and tranquility to the Middle East. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how much Clearly. that's really true, considering he's been in Congress for what, like 50,000 years? The guy has presided over many, many, many uh, situations in which the Democrats have uh, warmongered their way around the Middle East and caused absolutely zero, well, it's, zero it's, progress. And, and it's weird, isn't it, how it's the Democrats now. When it was the Iraq War, it was the Republicans. And this is kind of one of the things that uh, strikes me about just the farce of American yeah. politics. When the Republicans were in charge, the corporate establishment was funding the same goals. Now the Democrats are in charge and the corporate establishment is using the Democrat is funding the Democrats to accomplish the same goals. But you're right. It's military industrial yeah, yeah. complex and the the media industrial complex. Oh yeah, for sure. Is is taking this Israeli conflict and turning it into clicks, you know, the and and their corporate parent companies are using them to uh you know, a, accomplish their narrative goals to create a predictable response from the American public. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the thing that the Democrats have done, which I kind of have to respect, is their ability to somewhat seem like the good guys. Uh, I don't really know how they've managed to do it, considering that they have so much bad press. But if you think about it, like whenever the media talks about the Republicans when they do like a war, you know, Iraq or something, the Republicans are always the bad guys, okay? Whenever they do like a war thing or whatever, Obama gets in, all right? Obama is not someone that like didn't want wars and stuff. Dude had so many fucking drone strikes. He was going out of style. He um, ran us somehow, out of bombs. Dude, literally. Yeah. But the Democrats have completely and utterly like sidestepped this whole notion they almost look like they're good guys in the media. You know, they, they, you never think of the Democrats as the warmongering party, even though they happily, happily get involved with basically any opportunity to throw some weapons around, just like the, just like the Republicans do. And I think, honestly, under the covers, they might not outward say this, but I think the biggest uh, thing that the Democrats and the Republicans could probably share uh, opinions on is their 
both love for uh, warmongering around the world and uh, distributing and uh, throwing weapons as much as possible and to as many people as possible. I think both the Dems and the Republicans do a great job at that. It just seems like the Democrats are better at marketing themselves around that, whereas the Republicans are a little bit more open with the fact that they just... I think they just like <laughs> like to do that, maybe, and right. just kind of own it. Uh, and the Democrats, they they do their sort of like, we'll do this, and then we'll say this. You know what I mean? That we'll we'll, we'll say we're giving all these weapons to the Houthis uh, uh, because of we want to install peace. Whereas the rebel, uh, whereas the Republicans might say we're giving all the weapons to the Houthis because we want to smash the other side. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, it's interesting though. There's uh. There's just this dynamic where, I mean, so, so you, you mentioned that the Democrats appear to be the good guys, but that's because the media establishment covers yeah, for, yeah. For, for the Democrats because the Democrats, or, or I should say the left, they want new world order. They yeah, want yeah, yeah. Yeah. countries without borders. They want... Uh, technocracy, corporatocracy, something. I mean, it's it's more clear what the Democrat left doesn't want than what they actually want. I mean, aside from the yeah, big, the sure. big picture destruction and 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 fire and and brimstone. But the corporate overlords, the puppet masters. The George Soroses and the Bill Gates of the world. They all want what the left wants. They are yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the leaders of the left, the unelected leaders of the left. Yeah, and I think the Democrats own, have done a much better job in that respect of, of fostering their relationships with the media. Um, because well, they own, just, they like, own say, the media. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like they like most of their donors are from the media and, you know, their relationship like senator to corporations is just way better than the than the Republicans. And if you just take a step back and just think, you know, Democrat is just a name and a Republican is just a name for a party. You know, I I think the thing that the Republicans could probably do better is work a little bit more on that relationship, because whenever I see the Republicans and like a media thing, it's always like some like fucking Alex Jones type person that gets attached to the Republicans. And I'm like, why are you bothering doing this? Well, that's this is, a classic. This is not going to help. That's a classic media tactic. And I don't know, maybe, yeah. maybe you'd call it like intelligence propaganda tactic or, or something similar. But they'll roll out like, remember when the flat earth theory suddenly rose or, you know, came back to prominence? Oh, yeah, that's it, right. Yeah. It was like somebody flipped a switch and suddenly people were talking about flat earth. Wait, 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 <laughs> wait a minute. What? Yeah. Well, this this concept, this is just my opinion, but it's an opinion shared by many. These people that believe in the flat earth theory, well, they also believe in things like election integrity. In things yeah. like maybe yeah. 9-11 was an inside job. Maybe the CIA assassinated John F. Kennedy. And, and these other sort of similar, much more plausible conspiracy theories that surround sort of the globalist deep state and the liberal left. And so in, in 
spectacularly genius fashion, they inject these bad actors into these movements to start saying things like, uh, the earth is flat and, uh, birds aren't real. And, uh, the, uh, I mean, I don't know what, <laughs> what's another similarly oh, yeah, like the, the chemtrail stuff and, uh, you know, chemical in the water to make, you know, turning frogs gay and all, all this, or just all this sort well, of stuff. The chemtrails and the atrazine are actually a lot more, pro- more plausible. Yeah. In, in my opinion, like there's a lot more documentation to back up those claims. Um, because like cloud seeding is a real thing. Oh, for sure. They, yeah. you know, what is it? Barium. They, they put barium into remember. the they atmosphere. Do it, they do it a lot to, in the Middle East though, don't they? In Saudi Arabia and the UAE. To create rain. Yeah. Um, but the flat earth thing, I mean, that's just total. That's, that's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs in, in, in my, <laughs> my opinion. Yeah. I know there's, there's a lot. I mean, I, I, I really enjoy the argument. I, I do. I really do enjoy the argument because there's a lot of, I mean, these people have put a lot of thought and effort into these arguments and they've, they've done geometry to sort of paint this picture of at least, basically, where I come down on these things is, okay, well, they just, like, have you ever heard the, um, the equation for how they f- have figured out the size of the Earth? Uh, uh. I know of it, yeah, but I, I don't know it off the top of my head. It's they they use like shadows and the position of the sun and the sun's movement to figure out these, you know, geometrical dimensions. Mm. And they and they use that to determine that this is the size of the earth. Well, okay, there's obviously going to be a lot of room for error. In those calculations. So when somebody that's, uh, you know, trying to perpetuate the flat earth theory says things like, okay, well, they claim that the curvature of the earth is, is such that I shouldn't be able to see this thing that is this far away from me on the horizon, but I can see it. How come I can see it? Well, it's because somebody just messed up in their calculations somewhere. Mm, yeah. There's a lot of ways to explain it away. But I appreciate that these people have done this work to support oh, their sure. theory. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a free world. It's free life. And it's free speech. So you're more than welcome to think whatever you want to think. And, uh, and if you have a theory... You know, more power to you. I think you should uh, try and try and work it out. If it doesn't work out, you know, that's what science is supposed to be about. Uh, and that's what annoys me about like what happened with COVID and the whole vaccine thing, because that's, you know, it's basically tarred the whole of science with with uh, with a big brush. And that's uh, that's really annoying to me. Um, you know, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. And I think just to go back on the Republican thing, like uh, if you're at this stage, right. The Democrats basically own the media, or if if they don't own the media, the media for sure like to um, put a certain agenda in in that direction because maybe they find it's better for their viewers or however that ends up being. But if I'm the Republican, right, am I going to go down the further route of the people that are kind of hanging out that are even more crazy 
or am I going to start to make alliances with the CNNs, the ABCs, the NBCs, uh, Fox, whatever Fox is now? I, I'm going to go down the second route because the problem you have, like in the electorate, which people forget about all the time, is that most people are not extreme people for, for the most part. Like you get some that are like, you know, way out there and they'll listen to all kinds of stuff. But that's like, that's, that, that's the minority. The majority are people like in the middle. And as a Republican, you, you want to make sure that you're um, bringing over swing voters. Because people that vote for Republicans all the time, they're probably going to vote for you regardless. That's just kind of the way it works. Yeah. And the people that always vote Democrat, it doesn't matter who that fucker is up there, I'm going to vote Democrat. Yeah. So you pretty much know at that point that there's no point convincing the Republicans that are super hard Republican, they're going to vote, they're in. And those super hardcore Democrats, there's no point convincing them. There's no point going to, you know, like an LGBTQ march and like, you know, shouting at them with uh, a megaphone. Like you're not going to win them over. But the people that are on the fence, the swing voters, that's where you make your money. Uh, and so I'd be really working hard at uh, moving around with media execs, getting cozy with CEOs, trying to bring, bring, you know, big people on board, people like Elon Musk, people like like that kind of stuff and being a little bit, I wouldn't yeah. say moderate because moderate kind of sounds boring, but you want to be able to get your opinions out there and frame it in the media and get ahead of it. Um, so that breaks that cycle of just Democrats fucking owning everything. Because the problem you have now is the Democrats own the agenda because they have the media. The only time you ever get your agenda out as a Republican is by someone that has further crazier opinions than you and you get attached to that so let's say alex jones and i love alex jones i think alex jones is by far one of the funniest fuckers on the earth he is seriously <laughs> unhinged but you get attached with that right and his viewers right are not regular people so people so people that are regular people that might be swing voters see that and go what this dude's attached to this guy he thinks everything he thinks so you know as, as a media thing i think the republicans have a lot of work to do pr wise because they can't rely on trump forever because trump is one of these people that is just so amazing he walks into a room and he owns the debate and he walks into anywhere and he completely deletes you know the the interviewer you yep. can't rely on that forever. Trump is an old guy. He's only got one term left in him if he wins. What are you going to do after that? You need to have a serious strategy and dump this populist shit that's not going to work because people won't back it. And you need to become more of a, an adult party again um, because the Democrats are very, very, very professional. You don't like what they're doing, okay? And they might have some crazy policies, but you can't say that the Democrats are not professional in the way that they act around the media, the way that they archetype the entire conversation. It's very, very difficult for, for the Republicans to do anything right now other than just scream and shout and stuff in, in, in the Senate, well, and whatever. Even when they're not professional, the media still goes to bat for them. Right, Because right. the media is owned by the people that donate to these Democrat campaigns. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. as long as this, this web of corruption and money is in existence, the corporations are going to fund the campaigns of the candidates, not even Democrats necessarily. They're going to fund the campaigns of 
the candidates that will play ball. And if it's revealed that those candidates won't play ball, well, then they have what Chuck Schumer said it in, in, you know, regards to the intelligence community and Donald Trump. They have six ways from Sunday of getting back at you. And I think this is one of the things that caused Donald Trump to come under so much fire in, in the yeah. four years that he was the president. He made these promises to the intelligence community, to the, the massive hedge fund uh, corporations and, and these other globalist organizations to get them to at least allow him to be the Republican nominee. Then he got into office and said, eat shit. I'm not doing it. I'm going to do, I'm, I'm America first. I'm going to do what the public wants. And they said, you motherfucker. Yeah. And so we got Russian collusion. And, and I, I mean, I know like Obama was a big part of the reason for the investigations. Hillary Clinton was a big part of the reason for the investigations. But the media all went along with it happily. And oh, oh, for sure. And, now, and, and, that's why, and that's why the Republican Party can't rely on, you know, Trump forever. Because Trump is the only guy that, that can stand up and, and tell them, fuck you, after well, getting in. And they, they thought and he that can they take could, it. They, they thought that they could rely on Fox News. But then 2020 rolls around and Fox News reveals that, oh, it's just as much establishment as CNN or MSNBC. So the Republicans have kind of been forced to create this parallel economy of news organizations. So they have, uh, and, and these are, I mean, they're like the Earthbox podcast of news organizations, Newsmax, yeah, yeah. One America News, like people barely know. I mean, they've got their own stations on, on Pluto TV, but I don't think that's really much of an accomplishment. They, no, I mean, it's, 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 it's really accessible. sad almost. It's, re it's, it's really sort of like disappointing, really, because the Republican 100%. Party it is and was a serious, serious organization. And I refuse to believe that they cannot make uh, helpful and also constructive relationships with big donors and big media types and also accomplish some of their goals. That to me sounds like. You know, if they're saying that's some kind of impossibility, then they are completely incompetent. There well, is no way. If the Democrats are, are fucking up, right? Joe Biden, people aren't liking him. All it takes is the Republicans to go into the donor's office and say, look, it is going to be very tough for the Dems to come out with a resounding victory next time. So I think you should back us because we will... You know, maybe we'll deregulate something here. Maybe we'll give you a kickback, something there. The, you know, I'm just, I'm just spitballing here. But if the donors are not stupid people, if they know that the Dems are going to lose the next election or something, if the writing's on the wall, they're not going to just plow money into a campaign that they know is going to lose. Well, it's an interesting, it's an interesting point. Because you have to wonder. Where are the donors that support the ideals of these candidates? Mm -hmm. Why do the Democrats get all the money? Why? Well, I mean, we, we know why 
all of these, we, we know why all of this money comes to the left because these companies, they all share the same ideals and it, it, it becomes yeah. like a chicken and the egg thing. Like, are the corporations supporting the candidates that have these ideas or do the, can do the corporations push the ideas on the candidate in the form of massive donations? Well, okay, but where, where are the conservative ideologues donating their money? Why yeah, aren't mean, they giving to, I mean, Ron DeSantis, like Ron DeSantis says, a few popular donors, but why not more? Well, well, I think I think because you know, from from the outside looking in, the Republican Party just looks less professional. Um, you know, if I was to give money to them, am I am I guaranteed that my money is going to be used correctly into a campaign that's going to ensure a win? And I just don't. I I can't say that they're making. I don't want to say a big gamble on Trump, but. Even if Trump wins, he's only got one term. So it's like, meh, okay, so we're in for another election within four years. So I'm like, uh, okay, I'd much prefer them back someone, you know, serious that could seriously stand up for eight years and bring me a big chunk of time. And this idea that there's no conservative leaders in business in America is like a completely insane thing that I refuse to believe, okay? Oil oh, yeah, companies, 100%. banks, there's so much. So you have to think about it. Okay, so if you've, if you've ever done sales and marketing in large enterprise companies, and I've been lucky enough to do that, and most of it comes down to networking, right? Who, who are you meeting with? Who are you, who are you walking around with? Um, your relationship with those people is really important. How much time are you spending with them? Are you asking them? It's really important as well as a politician. You want to know what the leaders of business in your area are thinking and feeling because that can shape some of your policy for, for the good of the country, not just because, you know, you want them to pay money and, you know, you give them a kickback or something, but it's good to know in, in general what businesses are feeling in a certain area. Some politicians do that really well in the Republican. I think some of them in, in Texas especially do that quite well. And you've seen that businesses in Texas are doing fantastically well, including Tesla, um, for that for that very reason. And they're doing less well in California for the opposite reason. Exactly. So I think it's, so I think it's it's a networking thing. I don't believe that the Republicans network very well with the media at all. Actually, probably the opposite. It, it, it's kind of, it's kind of uh, too much to expect that the media is going to give you the time of day if you're constantly attacking them. Well, the um, the, the Republicans have this, I don't know this this flawed approach or or this this sort of turtle mentality where. The landscape changes and it takes them forever to catch up. And this is one of the things yeah, that's yeah. attributed to the loss in the 2020 election is these, these state legislatures illegal, illegally changed the voting rules to allow ballot harvesting, you know, basically activists going door to door saying, hey, do you have your ballot? Come on, it's election day. Turn your, turn your ballot in. And of course, they do this in Democrat dominated areas so that they can get more Democrat votes. Well, the Republicans had, okay, so even if they weren't prepared for this in 2020, they had two years to get prepared for it in 2022, and they didn't do that. No, no, no. So now they're entering this political landscape where the, the media has all the control. 
news media, yeah. social media, they, they can, I mean, this, this is one of my, you know, the, the, the basis of, of some of my core beliefs. If you piss off Mark Zuckerberg as a politician, no one on Facebook will ever know that you exist. And if you piss off, you know, Rupert Murdoch, the owner of, of Fox News, he's not going to put you on the front page. And this is, yeah. what, this is what happened with Trump and, and, and Rupert Murdoch. And I, I don't know the ins and outs. I would assume it was something like what I hypothesized earlier. Trump made promises. He reneged on those promises and pissed off Rupert Murdoch. So on, on election day, yeah. 2020, they called uh, Arizona at, I mean, I don't know, far earlier than most of the public thought they should have called it. And it's just another thing that you can point to in the Republican failings to keep up with, with the way things are going. But yeah. it's unfortunate to be in this political landscape where you have to kowtow to the media moguls and the yep. social media giants and, and big tech because they have the power to just rem remove you from existence. This is what they did to Alex Jones. They fabricated this huge story about how he uh, defamed the people involved with the, the Sandy Hook mass shooting. But then you find out later he was given a default judgment based on lies, claiming that he was supposed to uh, provide discovery on all these materials. And he said, I've given you everything I had. I don't, these, these materials don't exist. And the judge said, Yes, they do exist, and because you're not giving them to us without evidence, because you're not giving us these materials, we're going to give you a we're going to issue a default judgment, which basically means we've removed your right to defend yourself. And then we find out that some FBI agent who was never mentioned, didn't know anyone that was killed, was just loosely associated with the case. He was awarded a judgment of $100 million for participating in the lawsuit against Alex Jones. Wow. It's a complete travesty and a miscarriage of justice, similar to what just happened last night in Colorado. <clears throat> yeah. The Colorado well, I, I Supreme think, Court yeah. uh, just decreed that Donald Trump's not going to be on the ballot because he engaged in insurrection. And they're citing the Article 3 of the 14th Amendment regarding insurrection. And this, this article was created to prevent politicians from the Confederacy in Civil War era United States from holding elected office and, and perpetuating their civil discourse in, in American politics. Which, you know, that's probably a good idea, you know, to have something like that in the Constitution. Except for that Donald Trump is not charged with insurrection anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Even yeah. at the federal level, with this partisan hack prosecutor, Jack Smith, not being charged with insurrection. There is not a court case to determine whether or not Donald Trump engaged in insurrection.
So unprompted, this Colorado Supreme Court has decided that the voters don't have the right to choose who their president is in 2024. The Colorado Supreme Court has decided that they're the arbiters of justice and they will decide who the citizens in Colorado are allowed to vote for. Now, what you have to understand, and, and this, it, it, it's all sensation. This is the disgusting media. Yeah. They roll out. Donald Trump has been removed from the 2024 ballot. And I mean, what, what's the object here? They want to create conflict. They want to elicit a violent response from half the country. Because if you were to report this honestly, you would report nothing. Because Colorado has made this decision to basically force the federal Supreme Court to establish precedent on the 14th Amendment. But even in the language of the 14th Amendment, many conservative lawyers are saying that, that the office of the president isn't even mentioned in the 14th Amendment. And that's ultimately what the Supreme Court will have to rule on. Yeah, it's very clever, isn't it? But Colorado, it's, they, it's well, they, they, want to, they want to set this precedent so that more than just Colorado can unilaterally remove Donald Trump from the ballot and thereby remove the ability of the voters to select their next president. Now, it's not, yeah, nothing is happening. Nothing is happening until the Supreme Court rules on this decision in January. But this is what the left wants. The left wants to remove the political figures that they don't agree with and damn you if you don't agree with their decision to do so. Yeah, of course. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Especially since Trump is by far the most dangerous person to the left. If you can't beat him, uh, ban him. That's, yeah, I mean, that's the Democrat slogan. Dude, as much as I don't like Trump because of what he represents as a figure, I, you know, I am not going to say that uh, people shouldn't be able to vote for the guy. You know, if you want to vote Trump in again, that's on you. Um, and if you don't want to vote him in, that's also on you. You know, the fact that they're 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 trying to get rid of him is is uh, it's interesting. It's an interesting tactic. But, you know, I think Trump has been one of the one of the most interesting things to happen in politics in, in so long, because, first of all, he, he's made. The Democrats uh, become far more aggressive with their, I think, their manipulation of certain things. Um, and it's, it's been obvious, you know, in the last, what, in the last three, four years, you know, their systematic destruction of his character. And, you know, now we've got this thing in, in Colorado. And I think if I was the Republicans now, I'd be like really careful because there is an essence that the Republicans are wanting to come out now and just completely try and smash this down. Um, but I think the smart thing to do here for the Republicans is say nothing at all and just go, yeah, we'll just let the Democrats cry about it. And the Supreme Court is going to uphold 
the law and that'll be it. Well, on, on one hand, I'm sort of proud of the response from, from the Republican constituency because there, there has been no violent response to any of yeah. the outrageous things that the left has done in this country. I mean, d- despite what they might tell you about January 6th, it, it's, it's becoming increasingly clear that January 6th was instigated by the left, by intelligence operatives and FBI informants that were brought in to foment insurrection, and they failed. But that didn't stop them from putting hundreds of people in prison and ruining their lives. Have you, have you heard of the, the January 6th pipe bomber? <laughs> no, I've not heard of that. That sounds really interesting. Oh, for Christ. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. Except for the fact that they just can't seem to find the guy or know who he is or, <laughs> or do. They've got video of him all over the place planting these pipe yeah. bombs. But, oh, he's, he's neither here nor there. I think, dude, dude, I think the pipe bomb shit, I I think the pipe bomb, I think those pipe bombs were going to go off if they didn't get the response that they wanted out of the crowd. I think one way or another, Republicans were in for persecution under this Biden administration. And on on one hand, I I feel like, and and this is the thing, this this is the scary part. What does China do if America goes to war with itself? What does Russia do if the United States breaks out in civil war? Oh, I mean, my immediate thing would be to to go with America's closest trading partners and offer really good trade deals. That would be my immediate thing. Because what, what you're then doing is you're, while America is down and out and struggling and their economy kind of collapses a little bit under the war that they're having internally you can capitalize on that and really hit them where it hurts you know america's real uh america's real power is not its military power that many people think but it's it's the economic power the dollar the trade that it does and if you can attack that while the while they're while they're distracted i think that would be china's immediate goal which is immediate goal yeah, which, which they have, and they're struggling right now because America's so strong. But if America was to, you know, in your hypothetical thing, to have some kind of civil war or some kind of, you know, situation, I think China would be like, okay, brilliant. You know, now we can, now we can roll in and, and talk to Canada, Mexico, South America, all these major hubs. Um, that We can take Taiwan. Yeah, maybe. Ugh, maybe. I, I honestly think... They wouldn't take Taiwan, not because the Americans would get involved, but because it's just so difficult and wouldn't really benefit them because they buy a lot of stuff from Taiwan themselves. So the Taiwanese thing is difficult, difficult militarily. I think diplomatically, they would put pressure on Taiwan for sure. They would put pressure on Taiwan diplomatically and they may would they would may force them into some kind of diplomatic relationship that would, you know, a little bit like they did with Hong Kong. I can see that happening. A military thing, super difficult. Nobody wins. Just like, you know, we've seen with Israel and Gaza, just like we've seen with, with Russia and Ukraine. There's no real winners here. 
Um, well, I think the real question is, does China want the United States to not exist anymore? That's an interesting one. That's and an interesting one. It's well, it, when you go to Walmart, I, I challenge you to go to Walmart and find something that's not made in China. I've tried to do it before. Yeah, I mean, China, if America, it's not a food, America is a huge customer for them. So. If it's not a food product. Yeah. And if, but economically, what happens with our relationship to China economically if we go to civil war? Are we buying more from China or are we buying less? I'm going to say more because if people are making less money, they go to cheaper products. Cheaper products come from China. So I, I would probably say more, especially if domestic markets uh, slow down. You know, if there's a big war or something, like something really serious that happened in America, you know, people aren't making goods because they're fighting or something. You know, that's where do you get your goods then? You got you to import it. There'd be a huge premium on that. China would be just loving that, as well as the fact that they can benefit from all the all the countries that rely on the states to do things, you know, that's Intel, that's Ford, Chevy, General Motors, General Electric. You know, there's a, there's a huge, huge market there that they, so, that they could soak up. And Russia's doing the same thing. The, Russia is doing that right now. They are filling the gaps um, with countries that are on the sanctions list that America's put them on, that used to use American products, Russia is going to those countries and saying, you can buy from us. We're sanctioned, but you can buy from us because we don't recognize that. Um, so I think that would be an immediate thing China would do. Be, it would be the economic battle. That's kind of what they're really good at as well. They're really good at crushing other countries economically um, <laughs> rather than militarily. All their militarily, all their military type situations that they've ever had, and it's been very, very few, have gone terribly wrong. Terribly wrong. So I would have thought that the economic route would be the right, uh, would be the, the play that would, they would make. And just to back this up, you've got the Belt and Road. That's an economic thing that they've tried to do. You've got the uh, BRICS now, which is another economic thing that they're trying to do. They much prefer to use their economic weight in a similar way that America uses their economic weight. But I think China, that's their main play. America has the two plays. It's got the dollar and it's got the, you know, F-35. Um, <laughs> that's, their, that's their two main weapons that they have there. Uh, so... That would be my, my best guess. Well, let me spin this yarn for you. Sure. sure. If, you're, if you own a mega corporation yeah. that owns many other corporations, including media outlets, and you do a lot of business in China, and China yeah. starts to put pressure on you, maybe they've discovered some new regulations that you need to abide by in your Chinese operations. And maybe somebody suggests some benevolent member of the Chinese Communist Party comes to you and says, hey, if you were to promote these cultural narratives throughout your media organizations, maybe we could overlook these new regulations that you're not abiding by. What would your response be? 
Uh, I mean, first of all, it depends. It, you know, if I'm a very large company, you're going to be the larger the company is that you are, the more difficult it is for the CCP to do that. If I'm a huge mega corporation, uh, my immediate response is no. I will change my company to fit your new regulations. Um, if that doesn't work for you, I will make a five-year plan to move my manufacturing to Vietnam. Let me be more specific. Yeah. You're the CEO of NBC Universal. Okay. Okay. Sure. Yeah. 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 And NBC Universal, of course, you own MSNBC. You own right. Universal Pictures. Yeah. But you operate a theme park in Beijing okay. that, that sees a billion Chinese citizens a year. Right. Or maybe not okay. Chinese citizens, but a billion a people lot. a year. Yeah. The CCP says, oh, yeah, we, we're going to have to close down your, we're going to have to close down your theme park. And uh, we're going to ban all your pictures from Chinese theaters. Unless you push the Russian collusion hoax on all of your networks and, and, and your social media partners. Is it publicly traded, this company? On the stock market? Uh, NBC Universal? I mean, I would, I would assume, but I don't actually... I'm going to have to look it up. Okay, if NBC it's publicly traded, I am immediately kowtowing to the CCP. Immediately. Um, because there is no fucking way I can turn around to my shareholders and say, hey guys, the CCP say we did something wrong. Um, I disagree with them, so I'm going to turn off basically like 50% of our revenue stream because I, I, I don't agree with them. That is not going to fly by, by the shareholders. I would be immediately ousted as CEO. Then the shareholders would elect a new CEO that... Didn't mind, <laughs> didn't mind casting to, to, to the CCP, and that would be the end of it. So it looks like NBC Universal is a subsidiary of Comcast. Oh, and Comcast is publicly traded, isn't it? Yeah, big time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you're like, you know, even if, even if China is 25% of revenue, even less, maybe, e even as high as 15%. You're, you're going to do what they say, because that is a huge amount of revenue or, and profit. Um, maybe you can put in some checks and balances where certain things, you know, don't. it's, a, it's always a negotiation <laughs> in these things, in my experience anyways. A hundred percent. Local government officials. Uh, it's always a negotiation when, when you have uh, certain things come up where they say you're doing something wrong and we're going to shut you down. It's like, well, you know, uh, how can we work this out? Um, so, but if you're a publicly traded company, it's completely different. Well, someone like Elon Musk, it, it's different. You know, if you're Twitter, Elon Musk is a private, pri it's a private company now. So he just goes, well, fuck it. I don't care. It's yeah. my money. I'll do what I want. Um, you know, if it's Tesla, uh, more difficult, more difficult because it's publicly traded. Well, and I and think the problem in, in, in terms of Elon Musk and Twitter, I think that he is being, he's made, he's maintained his amicable relationship with China and the CCP by being sort of anti-Trump while he's, he's simultaneously, I mean, he claims to be, you know, free speech absolutist and, and, you know, freedom and liberty for all, 
et cetera, kind of person. But I think since he is uh, more, I mean, I wouldn't even say necessarily that he's anti-Trump as much as he is like pro Ron DeSantis, for example. I think this is what has allowed him to stay on, on friendly terms with the CCP and, and his companies that do massive business in China. Yeah. I, I, I can see that, but I think that's probably because Elon Musk doesn't like populist figures. Um, in a similar way, he met with Rishi Sunak and shares no love for people like Boris Johnson or Nigel Farage. Um, so I think that's a re- you know that that's a, re- a reflection of what he believes with democracy and that kind of stuff. He just doesn't like populist people. the The idea that Elon Musk is a free speech absolutist. I don't know if that really rings true. I don't know about you, but... I have my doubts. Yeah, you know, some people are like, free speech is great until someone says something and then they're like, actually, no, free speech isn't that good. And then you're like, well, you can't really be a free speech absolutist, can you? Well, not Um, when you you still... Not when people are still banned on your platform. That's that's it. And I I think it's very... I wouldn't want this job because... There are problems, I don't want to say there's problems to free speech, but there are issues that arise having absolute free speech on a platform. Because when you have complete anonymity, people can do things um, just because they can stir chaos. It's a little bit different than everyone being in a coffee shop and you say whatever you want to say. Um, because there's no anonymity to that. So in some ways, people hold back because they know what they say might have negative effects against them. And that's bad. But in the same idea, you have to, you have to think about it. If you have complete, unmoderated free speech on a platform, you get something like 4chan. And 4chan is really cool for some uh uses and also it's like one of the most depraved areas of the internet it's the wild west for sure. it is the it is the wild west and a social media for me you know in my personal life i do believe in like complete free speech and i think you know legally you should be able to say anything you like and socially there are consequences for that but it is socially for someone else to have a problem with what you're saying is also their ability to have free speech. So if I say something in a, in a coffee shop and they don't like what I'm saying, they have the complete right to do that just like I have the right to to say some shit. So socially, there are consequences for your actions. But I believe legally, in a legal framework, there should not be any consequences. You shouldn't have to go to jail because you've said something. But people may hate you for what you say. You know, and that's and that's their free ability to hate you for that. And it's social media, it's so difficult because you have that anonymity where people can say things and stow hate and create problems and create the opposite of problems all in an anonymous space. And the idea of social media is to have a place where you can have discourse between people and it be somewhat constructive. Facebook, you can meet friends. Twitter, you can have arguments. Um, Reddit, you can have informational conversations. Um, Snapchat, you can have anonymous, in, you know, uh, conversations that, that disappear. WhatsApp is just between people. It's just a messaging service. FaceTime, face to face, 
and 4chan is the is the wild west and social media i think something like twitter you have to get that balance between the both you don't want something that's so restrictive that it's just useless but you don't want something that's so wild west that people are scared to use it because they're like well i can't do anything on this platform because as soon as i post something there's 30 people coming to my post and just like just leathering all kinds of shit at me for no fucking reason so it's it's a very difficult and i and i'm glad that i don't have this job uh, because unfortunately the way it seems to work with all these platforms is that if you have free speech on a platform it sounds like a really good idea but in practice people don't tend to like it well we don't we've always i mean like people are complaining about the state of free speech now and and it, it yeah in the last three years it's gotten in crazy insane you know like journalists and lawyers going to prison because they dared speak out against the regime and they dared to defend you know some deplorable that the regime doesn't agree with yeah for sure but our speech has never been more free i mean go go back to 2020 our speech had never been more free i mean aside from like the the beginnings of of cancellation i mean it's it started to take a dive Traditionally, speech was, or, or, or historically, I should say, speech was very restricted. <clears throat> oh, yeah, for sure. You couldn't swear on radio. You couldn't say anything bad about religion. You know, people talk about saying shit about Muslims. Holy shit. You go back 80 years and say anything about Catholics or, or like, say, you know, say you don't believe in God or something. Dude, that's... <laughs> You would have been like ostracized quickly, dude. Well, so. but we've always, we've always, I mean, the, the, my, my point being that we've always regulated speech. Yeah. Like you couldn't just yeah. say whatever you wanted. You couldn't. Yeah. I mean, you take some Twitter conversation and put it in a bar. Somebody's getting their ass kicked or s- several people are getting their ass kicked yeah for sure and i i think it's that difference between the social consequences that that you receive for your speech and the legal consequences that needs a great divide well those consequences don't exist online and 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 even less when the people can be fully anonymous yeah yeah And and i think to some degree that's that's a good thing and i and that's why i think some sort of moderation is good because then you have a social media that actually fucking functions. Otherwise, you end up with something like 4chan, which is basically just a, a, a giant block of noise. I mean, it's it is the worst thing to use. It's not a social media. It's just a fucking block of noise on there. Um, but this idea that there should be legal consequences for some of the things that people are saying, that to me is a step too far because you know, in order to in order to think you must have free speech, right? So this idea that like, if you, th- if you say something, it's illegal, but if you think something, it's not illegal, that is fucked up to me. Because there's no difference between thinking something and saying something to me. That, that, is, that is like, the only difference you're making is you're making an audible you know, version of what you're thinking in your head. And someone's gonna tell me that I, I, I belong to be behind bars because of something that I've just said? Holy shit. Well, I think it's this not like all, I killed someone. This all came from electing Donald Trump in 2016. Yeah. We spoke our minds. 
the voters of America mm. and the establishment said, oh, no, 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 no. We can't have this. We invested way too much money into taking the country in this direction. We've supported the Clintons for decades. And now you've elected Donald Trump when clearly we wanted Hillary Clinton. You shall be punished. And this is where, I mean, and, and it's not just foreign actors like China and Russia pushing out this propaganda and pulling the strings. I mean, almost no American businesses do business in Russia. So this, this, yeah, very few. this angle of control from, from foreign agents really only comes from China and, and maybe some oil producing nations like Qatar. But getting back to what we were discussing with China and their control over corporations, that extends into these massive hedge funds like Vanguard and BlackRock and State Street, mm. who own these publicly traded companies. They own over 50% of the stock in so many, in so many companies that they can exert the same control over these CEOs that the, 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 the CCP could. Because all they have to say is, oh, if you can't adhere to these uh, diversity guidelines, well, we're going to have to dump a bunch of your stock and crash the stock price and force the board to look for a new CEO. Yeah, so, and, that, and that's the major downside of, of going public. And a lot of people will thought, oh, going public is really cool when they get a startup. Or, you know, oh, let's get bought out by Google. That's like the death of your company. It really is. You can raise money, sure. I and mean, you can raise money fast, really fast. But that money comes with strings, man, big strings. And if, if the shareholders believe that you're not doing a good enough job or they believe that the company should go in a certain direction... I mean, look at OpenAI. That was a classic example of that um, with Sam Altman getting ousted and then subsequently coming back. But that whole situation is a great example of, um, you know, the, the board not believing the CEO is taking the company in the right direction and just getting rid regardless of their performance, you know, in that job. So, uh, so how do you the think, corporate world is very interesting. How do you think a politician can function in the in that environment when they claim to only represent the will of the people like this this example was uh drawn using uh Ron DeSantis and and one of his mega donors Ken Griffin at the beginning of the Ukraine conflict Ron DeSantis said uh it, that's a regional conflict the United States shouldn't be getting involved then he started receiving campaign donations and his story switched to we can't let Russia be the bully of the world, which I tend to agree with, except for that the people claiming that we shouldn't let Russia be the bully of the world want America to be the bully of the world, which I also don't agree with. But if a, if a politician wants to be a politician, yeah. How did they escape the influence of these corporations? And how do these corporations escape the influence of the foreign countries that they do business in, as well as the mega banks that will uh, assign them a better interest rate 
if they do X, Y, and Z? Impossible. <laughs> it's, it's impossible, especially in the American uh, political sphere. The relationship between politicians and business it is inseparable. And if a business does business in other countries, they must have at least to some degree, some influence. You know, if a country has different regulations, to some degree, that company will have to do something different with their product or their marketing or whatever it is to make sure that they can market their product correctly and sell it correctly in that country. So there is no way that companies can really um, disconnect themselves unless they're so big that it doesn't matter. But there's very few companies that are like that. Extremely few. You know, Coca-Cola, Apple, these are ginormous companies and not the majority of companies. Uh, and the politicians, the way I see it, the way I see it now, like as a politician, your shareholders are the are the public, right? And so really your responsibility is to them. But if your responsibility to them requires you to do certain things, then that ultimately is justified. So if you have like, uh, let's say a constituency that believes that uh, there should be less taxes by 5% and you want to win in order to enact that policy, well, you're not going to win unless you get donors and you need donors in order to do campaigning to campaign better than the other guy. And you need relationships, good relationships with big donors. And maybe they, those, but, and now you go down the path, but this path is unavoidable because the other politicians are doing that. So it would require some sort of evangelical type situation where all the politicians decide that they're not going to um, play this game anymore, or for someone to be nice enough to come up with some sort of legislation that says that there are donor caps, or we're not allowing lobbying anymore, or we're gonna take a more parliamentary approach to it. But unless something changes, um, it's really up to the politician themselves how much they are willing to kowtow to the corporations. Ideally, you want a situation where the politician has the minimum amount of influence influenced upon them by corporations and their donors in order to enact the policies that they believe their constituents want. That's the ideal situation because you have business covered, you have the media covered, and ultimately, you can cover all the problems that your constituents want and you can represent them. That's a perfect scenario. Obviously, that's not attainable because we live in a world of random and strange shit. But <laughs> in terms of, a, of the American system, I, I can't see that being possible to, to get away from. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but it just seems like it, it seems like the, it's a complex that like everyone's relying on each other. The company is relying on the politician to win in order to help them. The politician is relying on the company to donate money so that they can win. The, the constituents are relying on the politician to get in to help them re reduce taxes, fix this, fix that. So everyone's relying on each other to make it work. And I think if you want to have an argument about how to make that better, you know, let's make the relationship between companies and, and politicians more transparent. That is something that would immediately solve a lot of issues around like who's donating what and why. Um, and some people won't donate to certain people because they maybe they don't want to do that. And that solves one problem. Well, and if you're so, a corporation. Yeah. That traditionally donates to conservative candidates. And somebody 
with a lot of clout, like a rep from Vanguard or from the CCP, for example, rolls in and says, hey, um, just halt all your political donations for now. Okay, please. We, we won't make things difficult for you if you just halt your political donations. How hard is it to acquiesce to that request as, as the CEO? Not hard at all, right? No, no. I mean, not, not really. Wait a minute. I mean, hold on to my millions personal. and don't give them to politicians and you won't uh, crush me with regulations or threaten to sell off all of the stock that you own and, and tank my stock price. I think we've just uncovered the reason that conservatives don't have a lot of big billionaire donors because those big billionaires even with all of their conservative beliefs that they no doubt hold, because that's the adage, right? When you're young, if you're, you're, you're a Democrat when you're young because you have a heart and you're a conservative when you're older because you have a brain or something to that effect. <laughs> and, and then there's a, another cliche that says, uh, you know, the Democrats cash the paychecks, the Republicans sign the paychecks, you know, like on the front. Where the, uh, <laughs> where the payer information goes. So we know they're out there. We know there's lots of conservative billionaires, but they're closeted. Yeah, they're, they're afraid to say that they're conservatives because the left owns the movement. The left yeah. owns the media yeah. and, and they'll, they'll call for, for boycotts. I mean, they, they generally don't work and, and they, they backfire a lot of the time. But this gets back to what you were saying about professionalism and unity. The Democrat yeah. Party, with all of its liberals and leftists, they are united towards one goal. And I think that's uh, due largely to the fear of upsetting the status quo. But the Republican Party does not function like that. The no, Republican no. Party is, is they, they are not one unit like the Democrats. They're, you know... 220 individual members in Congress representing the, you know, tens of thousands of people in each of the districts that they represent. And, and those people, I mean, at least the politicians claim that those people have largely differing views on all of the issues, but you will not find that with the Democrats. The Democrats, whether they're right or wrong, claim that everyone that they represent all wants the same thing. And that's the picture that the media is happy to paint for them. Yeah, and that yeah, is yeah. what enables them to be so successful because they don't have to spend any time convincing the members in, in Congress and the Senate that they're working in the interest of their constituents. It's just understood. And if you don't follow along, then you will be excommunicated. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I agree. It's like, you know, and, and if you look at it that way, if you're a donor, you're a billionaire, you're like, well, who, who am I going to put my money on? I think one of the problems as well is the Republicans don't have um, quite an obvious, you know, sort of candidacy Com compared to the Democrats that have kind of more of a hierarchical basis where, you know, someone takes the reins for a bit and then there's someone else that kind of steps up that's a known quantity. Uh, even someone like Hillary Clinton that people weren't very fond of, but she was an obvious next in line 
known quantity person. I think one of the problems that Trump had when he came in is Trump is such a powerful figure and such a all-encompassing figure that once he left, right, you know, it kind of created this power vacuum where there was no like obvious second place. Mike Pence obviously was not the guy. Okay. Well, and so many Republicans worked behind his back right. to disrupt his presidency. So not only did you have every Democrat unified against never Trump, there was also a large sect of Republicans that would, also, that would unify themselves with the Democrats to also agree never Trump. So there was, and, and, and this group of, of Republicans, they all, they all tried to play Trump and some of them successfully. Like, oh, no, we're we're buddies. You're great. Like like Chris Christie was a huge fan of Donald Trump. Yeah. Now he goes into the debates and he trashes Trump at every opportunity because he wants to get that never Trump vote, because that's the only vote left because Donald Trump is leading all of the polls with like 60 percent of the vote. And I I think, honestly, that is a massive failure to the Republican Party that um, that they would fail unless they had someone like Trump that basically carries the entire movement on his own. That is someone that is so rare to come around and also kind of dangerous in a way because, you know, Trump, as many people think, he's some kind of like dictator type figure. I mean, he's populist, sure, but, you know, Colonel Gaddafi, he is not. Um, But if you have someone that's so powerful and so all-encompassing of the entire party that they just own the entire narrative... That kind of deletes the entire point of having the Republican Party in itself. And that's very, very dangerous as a party to, to put that forward. You really need to have some good players in there that are going to come in and go, right, we're going to unify this thing. We're going we're gonna to talk about this thing. We have this in the conservative party to some degree. Even Liz Truss, even though she wasn't very good at her job, she unified everyone behind her and got it done. It failed. And then we moved on to the next guy. Everyone's unified behind Rishi Sunak. He's having some problems now. Um, But we don't have that in the Republican Party. Like, Ron DeSantis kind of came up. Basically, no one really backed him um, because that's Ron's problem. I think Ron has a problem where he struggles to make inroads within his own party. I see him doing very well in Florida. He's kind of like a he's kind of like a really good guy for the local politics. But once he gets onto that global stage, it's he falls down and he's not able to make the inroads within his own party very very well. And there's not many other people that I see from all over here in the pond that have the similar pull within the party that Trump had and the similar sort of energy that Trump had. Um, there is there is nothing like that. Whereas the Democrats are very much like right, Joe Biden's going to be the guy. We're all going to back him. And let's get it done. And once Joe Biden goes or dies, whatever he's going to do next, you know, they will pick someone and back him completely. Well, so I think the Republicans need to really professionalize the way that they move on from Trump once he either loses and they want to move on or when he wins and subsequently his term ends. I think the larger point that you're uncovering here is that the Republicans don't have strong leadership and this is yeah this is where that power vacuum came from because yeah trump was such a strong leader yeah he demanded the unity of the republican party he demanded the support yeah 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 yeah. of the people in his party and in his cabinet 
when he was, you know, in power. Then he was dismissed from power. Half the Republican Party said, yes, he's finally gone. And the other half went, well, hold on. Where, who's our leader now? And I think this is one of the problems with Ron DeSantis. Yeah. He's great at governing. He's not so great yeah. at leading. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe that's just his, you know, his mannerisms. He's sort of quiet and reserved and, and not necessarily it, dude. bad yeah. characteristics for a leader to have. Except when you sort of come to the conclusion that the reason that they're, because there's not strong leadership on the left either. Like, who's the big guy that's going to come out from behind the curtain when Biden ultimately goes down and doesn't run for 2024? Gavin Newsom? The guy that has just shit literally all over his state because he just wants to be a politician. He doesn't want to actually be a leader. He doesn't even want to be a governor. He just wants power. He wants to be the man. He wants to be on the magazine covers and in, in front of the microphone. But that's exactly the kind of Democrat leader that they would they would back. This is this is the leadership in the same yeah. This is the leadership that the establishment uh, wants for the United States. They want no leadership. They want someone who will stand aside while the corporations and the foreign interests bleed the country dry. This is the state of leadership in the United States, and probably in in much of the Western world. Yeah, I would definitely say in in the states. You know, if you, if you look at um, Hillary Clinton, you know that you've just described her perfectly. I would have thought that she was she is someone that I don't believe would have been a great leader, but someone that you don't the the entire party got behind and believed that you know she would get in there and 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 serve interests in the similar way that Joe Biden has got in and serving interests. Well, because um, they- I think Obama was a little bit more autonomous than other leaders that I've seen, Obama definitely had his own things that were going on. Well, I think Obama's agenda was the agenda of the globalist left. And, and that's why yeah. he was able to appear that way because I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I believe that o- Obama probably is the strongest leader that the left has. I think yeah, a lot definitely. of this, like it, it's really funny to me. I know we're, we're coming to the end of our time here, but it, it's, it's really funny to me how people will, Look at this upcoming election in 2024 and they'll look at Joe Biden and say, this guy's a fucking disaster. Like how we can't let this guy (laughs) run in 2024. We got to pick somebody else. But they fail to realize that the last Democrat leader that we had was Joe Biden's president when he was the VP. It's Barack Obama. And we're having four years of exactly what we had eight years of back in 2008 and, and 2012 in, in the following election. Crazy high gas prices, wars all over the place, and just another extension of, of Barack Obama happening again in, in 2020. But the media is going to twist all that into, oh, it's just, it's Joe Biden. We, we just, if, if we just get rid of Joe Biden, we'll be fine. But no doubt, the next Democrat that, that is selected to be president is going to perpetuate the same policies that are destroying the country today. Yeah, because it's working. This is what Democrats stand for. This is what Democrats want. And the Republicans are completely feckless 
and flaccid and willing to just stand aside and let the Democrats have their way in every aspect, as long as it means that their corporate donors keep the checks coming so that they can continue to get reelected and continue to do nothing. Like there's this element of the human psychology where it's, it's really understandable why it's so easy for the Democrats to unite because they're all too happy to just rubber stamp everything so that they don't have to think or work or perform any of the tasks that they were elected to perform. All they have to do is agree with the uniparty and the corporate donors and the foreign interests, and they can maintain their power in Washington for as long as they're alive. And that's why Dianne Feinstein is dying in office. And Mitch McConnell is probably going to die in office because they're all so deeply entrenched in corporate and foreign money that they have no other choice but to do, do what they're told or have their entire legacy ruined by the media and the social media that is all owned by their mega corporate donors. Help! Yeah, I agree. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. Definitely help. You guys need some serious help. You know, we can fix our shit over in the UK. Um, well, the UK's we doing just... well. Your, your inflation numbers just came out and they're, they're coming down. It seems like Rishi Sunak is getting his government together. Like, I, I mean, and maybe this is all uh, corporate media fallacy, but it really seems like maybe you want to stay. Maybe you want to stay in the UK, man. No, no. Uh, Rishi Sunak, his government is finished. Uh, there's no way he's, he's getting it together. It's just uh, the, the, the infighting in the Conservative Party is unbelievable. And while it's been better than it has been, you know, under Boris Johnson and Liz Truss, the Conservative Party are fucking finished. And anything they, they, they have not had a single policy that has done any good in any way even to anybody, even to themselves in the last, you know, two years. Um, and in terms of inflation, I'm glad to hear that it's coming down. Um, I think that's mostly to do with uh, the global energy markets. I believe that core inflation is still staying a little bit high and core inflation is where it's mostly just things that are produced in country and not affected by global markets. So uh, I'd like to see that core inflation number come down. Um, I believe that there was talk of maybe the banks reducing rates. I would completely annihilate that from your mind. They are not going to reduce rates anytime soon. Um, Doesn't seem that that's going to happen in the States either. No. And, and to be fair, I don't really blame them. I think, honestly, at this point, we just need some markets stability okay they start moving the fucking numbers around again everyone's just going to start freaking out like there's something to be said about just leaving everything the way it is for a while and letting everything adjust letting people get comfortable right and then you have a bit of buffer and then you can bring the rates down again i know some people are going to be like oh my god well you know my fucking mortgage is crazy but it's like if you if you start lowering those rates again the only thing that's going to happen is money becomes cheaper again your fucking more you, the price of housing goes up again the price of like doing credit goes up again it's just you know people just start spending too much money and inflation goes up again so i think uh we should just leave shit where it is and then when we get into an economic situation down the road we have you know five percent to deal with you know if we need to stimulate the economy again and do some qe quantitative easing we can lower the rates again and make money cheaper again but uh this idea that we should like just keep the fucking rates low 
Look at Japan. Japan tried that. If you look, I, I encourage you to have a look at how Japan's economy is doing yeah. in your spare time. <laughs> It is terrible. That is an experiment in 25 years of quantitative easing, of negative interest rates. It is terrible. Okay, so we don't want anything like that. There has to be some cost to borrowing money.、Um, and that encourages our governments to not borrow so much money as well.、And、that's always a good thing. We don't want fucking governments racking up loads and loads of fucking money, you know, zero or 1% bonds and stuff like that. It's just like, otherwise, our governments are just stuck because we're, I mean, that's where we're at right now, where,、yeah. you know, our debt obligations. Are just unbelievable. Like a lot of our taxes just go on paying our fucking debt obligations, let alone paying for stuff that we need. So, well, yeah, yeah American, I'd love to see that number come down. The American national debt is going up by 200 some odd billion every month. It's,、yeah. it's crazy. And, the, and they're talking about quantitative easing again for, you know, because no doubt Biden wants to try to improve the economy. In the coming year up, up to the election, I, I, I don't think it's going to work. I, I feel like the Supreme Court, I mean, maybe this is just a pipe dream or, or, you know, naivete, but I feel like the Supreme Court is going to rule on these three Trump cases that are, that are before it. All the legal cases against Trump are going to collapse. And that's going to cool. The support for Donald Trump because everything、mm. leading up to this has all all the indictments, all the court cases, all the miscarriage of justice by these crazy judges. And by the way, <coughs> I'm going to edit out all these coughs, <laughs> except for that one, because you know, <laughs> context. <laughs> What was I saying? All, all these radical judges, who, who are they? Well, they are、uh, intersectional women of color. Now, that sounds really racist. I acknowledge. And that's the point. Because who are we looking at when we see these decisions come down? Intersectional women of color. The ones that the left is always so excited about. Oh, they're so great. They're going to be excellent. But look at what they're doing. Don't look at who they are. Look at what they're doing. It is inevitable. The public that will become eventually the politicians responsible for giving these appointments or holding these elections, the electorate, the ones that are going to be electing these intersectional women of color to these positions of power, they're going to look back at this time and go, ooh, wait a minute. Remember when these intersectional women of color、uh, almost destroyed our country through their psychotic judicial rulings? That has nothing to do with their gender or their sexual proclivities or their ethnicity. But this, these people don't understand the optics, the public that's all excited about it, and the people themselves. They don't understand. That they are setting a precedent for all intersectional women of, of ethnicity that may want to hold these positions in the future. They are not ruling judiciously. 
They're not ruling admirably. They are putting their corruption on display and they are making a bad name for any minority that might seek to hold this position in the future. It's the same thing with all the Black Lives Matter riots. People don't understand the optics that this is creating for the groups that they claim to support. And it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to set back the equality movement decades, and it, it has already. Yeah, a long it, way. They, they were doing it. It was happening in 2020. Because every time you turn the TV on, it's a story about how this crazy judge is uh, destroying the rule of law in the country. And this roving band of gangsters is looting and burning with impunity. And, and who, what, what do those gangsters look like? Are, are, is that creating a positive image of these poor marginalized groups that we're supposed to be supporting? No, it's doing the opposite. But nobody calls it out. No, nobody, nobody looks at this no, and goes, Ooh. No, no, no one daren't say anything, bro. I'm not trying to be racy or, or you know, whatever, edgy, uh, controversial. It's just something that I see day after day that nobody brings up. Maybe because they're afraid to even touch on the topic of race. I want to just reiterate that the, the points that I'm making have nothing to do with what the people look like and everything to do with their behavior. That's the point. The behavior, the detestable behavior of these supposed marginalized groups is not garnering support for them it's garnering aversion for them to them and yeah, it's all it's, 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 it's all by design because yeah, these and it's, the, the, it's the same for the climate protesters as well they are they, they are doing the opposite of what they think is going to happen and 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 the funding is all coming from the same place yeah it, it's all coming from the open society foundation courtesy of george soros it's and where does that money fucking go? Like, I swear the BLM money is like, it was all stolen. Oh, yeah. Well, did you hear the story that Patrice Cullors bought a $5 million mansion in, in Hollywood? No, I didn't hear about that. Who, who is that? Is that like the leader or something? One of the, one of the founders of, of Black Lives <laughs> of Matter. Yeah. Yeah, of course it is. Again, another optic that nobody seems to care about. No. Because, I mean, it's, this is... The, I, I, I love it when it all comes together like this. These are people that don't give a damn about anything but themselves. They don't give a damn about doing anything but filling their own pockets. And they'll lie all the way to the bank. I'm, I'm fighting for you until my puppet master tells me I need to fight for somebody else. And then I have to fight for, for that thing. Because otherwise... I'll lose my job, but uh, I don't really have to worry about that because the media will cover for me and justify everything that I'm doing. I mean, how could one behave any different under those circumstances? I know it's, 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 a, it's a real shame. I mean, I remember seeing some old lady that had managed to climb up uh, and, you know, like hang out on top of the billboard or something above the m25 one of the busiest if not the busiest motorways in the country and they had to shut that fucker down 
just for her to get her down. Wow. She, you know, she, she was like, oh, you know, the climate and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> that that's why she did. She climbed this 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 thing, and the the news were 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 almost like trying to make me feel bad for her. like, you know, like she had to do it, and. You know, there's, you know, she was like, oh, I'm doing it for like all the children of the world, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm thinking, yeah, but like, you've just made like a few thousand cars idle and cost the country probably like yeah, 70 yeah. million quid in like lost <laughs> revenue from stopping the M25, which is, which is like stopping the heart on the country. The M25, if, if there's any English people uh, listening, you'll know it's uh, that ring, that ring road that goes around London. Dude, it's uh, simultaneously the best and worst thing in the country. And that lady, she was talking about the climate and how, you know, we need to stop oil and all this sort of stuff. And, and I get it. We, you know, we can't rely on a finite resource forever. That's just scientifically a thing. I get it. Uh, but you, like, you know, jihading yourself in front of, like, all these cars on the motorway I don't think it's having the intended effect that you think it is. Like when you talk, when I talk to regular people, we never bring up the fact, oh, did you see that fucking woman on the M25? I'm going to stop driving my car now. Yeah. Like that is not something that people talk about. No more single use plastics for me. <laughs> that's just it. I mean, at least to some degree, the BLM thing was like, okay, this dude stood on this guy's neck and I, you know, I'm I'm thinking a little bit differently about my local p police department. There's that you can at least have to some degree an argument that regular people thought that to some degree, right? That that actually had some reasonable effect on your brain, whether it was like, I don't like that. Well, and that's where the scam you know? came from. Like that was yeah. the scam. They're going to call it Black Lives yeah. Matter to garner support from uh, everyone because obviously Black Lives Matter. But then it, yeah. saying all lives matter became racist. You had to only yeah, believe course. that black lives matter. And that was, I mean, that was when it all started falling apart because we learned that it wasn't a movement of love. It was a movement of hate. And yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd be really curious to learn where the funding for these climate activists comes from. I wouldn't be surprised to learn that there are some big oil people involved because yeah. it's, it's, it's like I've been saying. People don't understand the optics of what they're doing. They, they, they think they're heroes because the media is telling them that they're heroes and they're getting all of these likes and, and, and shares and all of this social media clout. And, and the people funding this, they understand that. They understand the optics. They understand the psychology. Yeah, sure. I mean, especially my generation, the Generation Z, it's like a generation of like vanity. So, you know, our ability to put like a black square on Instagram. I mean, that's like, oh, shit. Well, a perfect. You know, that's that's big for us. A perfect positive note to end on. They're the, the political pundits are calling Gen Z the most conservative generation in generations. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. Buddy. Really? Oh, well, I guess it's millennials happy. are pretty uh, millennials are pretty left wing. Um, but wow, I have so many friends that are like totally not conservative to, that's crazy. Well, I maybe wonder, it's not the case in Europe. 
Maybe it's maybe it's just Dude, the United States. Yeah, thing. I mean, maybe, maybe, uh, and you know what? I can see it with with guys for sure, for sure. With guys, I can see it. They they don't mind saying some shit that would like definitely, uh, definitely get them banned on a few on a few platforms. So we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and the, but you know, girls are always more socialist than guys, anyway. So uh, maybe that's true. I don't know. I don't know. I well, don't know. I think... I'd, I'd I'd love to see the study. Like genuinely, I'd love to see it if we're if we're the most if we're the most conservative in a while. Then fuck yeah, I'm fucking down for that. You know that. Well, that'd be a great thing to get into uh, on the next podcast. But uh, we're going to caveat that by saying we had like three or four other stories that we were going to get into today that didn't happen. <laughs> so, you know, we like to keep it interesting around here on the Earthbox podcast. Of course we do. So visit Vox404.com and subscribe on your podcast platform of preference. And uh, do make sure you share the show. Uh, we're experiencing a meteoric rise on social media, which is kind of, uh, it's kind of funny because meteors fall, but the term is meteoric rise. Uh, so mm. follow us on, uh, on Twitter, uh, <laughs> X, if you like, uh, at Earthbox, follow 404 at 404 missing underscore link and uh, join our Discord community by uh, sending me your email the real earthbox at protonmail.com and I, I promise I won't sell, uh, sell it to anybody <laughs> yeah thanks guys for joining us this week um, it'd be really great if you could if you could share the show to your friends uh, only cool ones though we don't want any stupid people in here uh, and uh, <laughs> I, I really think you should check out the last episode it was really cool and again like we've just had some really good conversations and I, I, I had some really cool stories I wanted to talk about today but we just ended up going off on a tangent and we'll save them for next time so stay tuned um, we're going to be away next week obviously we're taking a week off for Christmas ah, so yes. if you can forgive us uh, for uh, taking a week off that'd be amazing and we'll, we'll see you in the, ne in the new year We'll talk to you soon.